right, with the, <coughs> the, uh, the nature of uh, this building. So let me, <laughs> let me try to find my stuff. There we go. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm looking for something. All right, hopefully. Oh, there we go, we have this. Uh, I thought I uploaded something else. Hmm, okay, well we'll put this, uh, evidently God wanted me to do this. Okay, I had something else up here. Uh, <coughs> so, let me get this so I don't knock this off. I was, typically we start off with a um, kind of a gospel invitation, a gospel message. So I was, I'm going to do this by recollection here. Uh, I was going to show you a picture of uh, Franz Halls. Franz Halls was an artist uh, from around uh, 1575 to 16, 1660. Uh, he was a Dutch artist uh, and... <clears throat> uh, this was during the period of uh, the Reformation. Reformation's 1517, and Franz Hall starts painting uh, towards the end of uh, the 1500s and moving into the 1600s. And one of the things that happened during that period of time was um, followers of Luther um, uh, kind of overreacted to the excesses of the Catholic Church, and they were known as the iconoclasts. And the iconoclasts, unfortunately, uh, looked at all art as uh, graven images, and they ransacked many of the churches um, in Europe uh, and destroyed uh, wonderful pieces of art uh, just because they thought that those pieces of art were being worshipped uh, and misused. And uh, for instance, a few weeks ago, I showed you Rembrandt's The Raising of the Cross, if they could have got their hands on that, they would have destroyed it because they would, they would say no one should ever paint any image of Christ. And so fortunately, those were saved because uh, it was the king of Holland that actually uh, um, um, paid uh, or commissioned uh, Rembrandt to paint that picture and many others. But the, the religious paintings that, and religious other forms of sculpture that could not be... Um, shielded from the iconoclast, just destroying everything uh, in Europe, um, they, were, they were destroyed. And so Franz Halls, as a, as a Dutch artist, uh, he's in the midst of this, and other, other artists in Europe also, and they realize that if they're going to paint anything, and Franz Halls was a Christian, uh, many of these artists were Christians, and like, like we would call ourselves Christians. And so they realized they kind of needed to uh, change their tactic to try to get the message across in a subliminal way. And Franz Halls would paint uh, the average person. He also painted <clears throat> the seedy side of life. And it wasn't to um, uh, engrandize the seedy side of life. Uh, he was like William Hogarth. He would uh, paint images of prostitutes and other things like that to get people to, to realize that is not something you want to do. Another area that Franz Halls and other artists also uh, worked uh, to provoke a thought 
was this idea of uh, memento mori. And memento mori uh, was a form of art that I'll try to describe it because it usually has a couple components. Um, the, the, the most uh, common one would be uh, a still life that would have a flower. Uh, it would have uh, a skull and an hourglass. So a flower, a skull, and an hourglass. They would also often have uh, portraits of people, a young person or an older person, holding a skull in their hand. And you have to ask, why are they doing that? Are they morbid or something like that? So memento mori uh, means uh, remember that you will die. Remember that you will die. And it was to provoke the thought, for instance, the flower, the skull, and the hourglass. And this is one of the reasons I brought this in. I, I, I build 18th century furniture, and I've made a few of these little guys here. The thing with remember that you will die and the hourglass is, I can, you know, for our lives, for my life and for your life, you cannot turn this upside down. This is it. However, however much is in there. And you can say, well, I'll just put more sand in there. You can't. I can't. You can't go back and say, oh, let's just do it again. It will not work. And so that was the idea. Remember that you will die. And so the point there was, okay, we're all going to die. Uh, what happens after death? What's going to go on? And a little note to myself. One of the things that Jesus said was that I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, or when he dies, because we're all going to die, will live even though he dies or she dies. We're all going to die. You're going to die, and I'm going to die. Are you ready to die? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Even for those watching, do you know Christ as your Savior? You can say, well, I can, I, I've got a lot of sand up there. You have no idea. I have no idea when that's going to run out. Now, for today's discussion, you know when that's going to run out. It's about an hour from now, right? And you can watch that. But seriously speaking, we don't know uh, when we will die. And memento mori was to provoke the thought, remember that you will die. There is no escaping it. There's no escaping it for me. I hope in my prayer today is that you do know the Lord. Um, so consider that. All right. So let's get into this part here. Uh, we're going to finish this up. Now, this was supposed to be a four-week... A four let's see. Oh, da, 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 da. Okay, that's why that's not working. You got that up there? Okay, good, good. All right, fine. Mm. All right. So we'll just look at this uh, page here. It's, I've made it a little messy. Uh, the big global themes uh, you know, for what we've been talking about is these three Ps, God's promises, God's provision, God's protection. Specifically, the promises, the provision, and the protection, when God promised the patriarchs that he would give them uh, and then they would live uh, in a land full of, uh, that they would live in this particular land. Uh, they never took control of the land, but they will in the millennial kingdom. But he did uh, also promise uh, Moses and the people who were following Moses, not only am I going to give you this land, it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. And we've looked at that, 
And indeed, it is a land and was a land flowing with milk and honey. And so God was true to his promise. The honey, that honey aspect, the idea of having domesticated bees in a land that you were going to take over was all part of God's provisioning for these people. Because as we've learned together, uh, domesticated honeybees make possible pollination, and pollination makes possible uh, abundant plant growth. I'm a beekeeper. Some of you know, some of you don't know. When I first started beekeeping several years ago, I had some rank weeds laying around in my forest and other places like that. Well, guess what? Uh, the bees happen to love those. So I have an overabundance of rank weeds now because the bees go to the flowers that they like and they pollinate them and they flourish. And so it's good to have uh, bees. We talked about um, the almond crop uh, in uh, California. There's a million beehives that go out there to help pollinate them. We talked about... Uh, uh, grapevines, the bees need to work on them to have uh, wonderful clusters. And then God's protection. We also talk, and we'll look at this a little bit more, is that honey's medical properties are like having your own private pharmacy where you're living. And we're discovering that more and more. And so when God said, listen, I'm going to give you a land of milk and honey, he kept his promise. There were bees there. That was a, and uh, they did not starve. Uh, and it was also for uh, their pro medical uh, protection at, at a minimum. Okay, so then we're going to look, we, what we've been looking at this last um, section, uh, segment of uh, honey in the Bible is the sweet taste of honey is used as a metaphor for how sweet the word of God is. And then I said to read, to meditate on, and let me just stop here. Uh, Maybe many of us read the Bible, but do you spend time meditating on the Bible? When I go to an airport or any public place, I see people pulling their cell phones out. They need constant stimulation. They can't go without it. And they're flicking through all kinds of social media nonsense and stuff like that, looking at this TikTok video and that TikTok. Throw that thing away for a while. If you've read the Word of God, spend a little time thinking about what it says. Try to memorize it. That's important. Because when troubles come, those words can come back to your mind and help you keep your wits about you. And then finally, uh, act on it. Because the reading, the meditating, the memorizing is, is useless if you don't act on what God has told you to do. And so, the sweet taste of honey. And I said, listen, when you think about the sweet taste, what's something sweet? It tastes wonderful. It's delicious. Uh, it's sweet, it helps you grow, it's nutritious. And then we think about the healing and the cleansing effects of, of honey as well, and also the Word of God. So we'll, now we're, we're going to just get into this section, okay. Because we, uh, sorry, just whack this thing. We looked at these verses here, and we'll continue to look at these uh, verses as we go on. But I wanted to, I think I stopped and did not get to this point here. So here, the psalmist, I mean, um, psalmist, uh, uh, Solomon says, uh, gracious words are a honeycomb. They're sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. So one thought is uh, your, your words can uh, revive a person or they can crush a person. Be careful with how you talk to people. Gracious words. The word of God is like a, a honeycomb. When you read the Word of God, it's like nothing else. I read lots of things, but there's nothing like reading the Bible. It is a distinctively different 
collection of books. We'll look at the, the, uh, the healing properties of it too. And then uh, uh, Solomon also says, eat honey, my son, for it's good for you. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there's a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. So I think one way to look at this is if you have a sweet tooth like, a sweet tooth like me, I get through dinner just to get to dessert. That's just how I am, right? So we're going to have Thanksgiving. Find the turkey, the stuffing. I like that. Where's the pie? Give me the pie, right? But you can't have the pie before you have all the other stuff, right? So if, if you have a sweet tooth, sweet, tooth, sweet tooth for food, do you have a sweet tooth for the Word of God? Are you looking for that, trying to get to the Word of God? Uh, we should have a sweet tooth uh, for the Word of God because uh, the Word of God will give you the wisdom that you need to live your life. Now, I wanted to talk about, this is a, a kind of interweave uh, um, medical journals. Let me get this thing off of here because it's covering stuff up. Okay. I got this here. Okay. So I was interested in, uh, this was, uh, so this is the psychological effects of sweet taste and s- sweet taste preference. You know, and because I have a sweet tooth, I, I, liked, I liked finding this article. This, uh, what is this called? Confirmation bias. I can tell my wife. It's good for me to be a sugar junkie, okay? It's good for me to be a sugar junkie. And there's many articles like this. And it's a kind of a combination between uh, psychoanalysis or whatever it is, and then also uh, the medical, uh, you know, clinical medical profession as well. And the, the, the end of the story here, kind of digging through this particular article, says we conclude that sweet tastes seem to have complex psychological effects. Tasting something sweet can result in the activation of the brain's reward system. Uh, and sweet taste has also been related to pro-social. Now remember, this is in Europe. So in Europe, they have weird ways of saying people are jerks or people are not jerks. And um, especially the Brits. Antisocial behavior. No, you're just acting like a jerk, okay? But they have, you know, Brits are much better with words than we are over here in the States. So they call it antisocial behavior when you're acting like a jerk and being unfriendly and things like that. And so this article, because it is written in Britain, uh, uh, let's say, well, this is a German article, but I thought the, I thought the journal was out of uh, England. Maybe not. Okay, so it's uh, fine. The, the continent also picks this up too. Uh, pro-social. That means you get along with people. When you eat sweet things, you get along with people. And you have this altruistic intentions, uh, like I want to do good things and so on and so forth, and, and good behavior. So if you have a sweet tooth uh, and you eat sweet things, it's, uh, for a human, these are the results, right? So when you pull in the word of God, thinking, you know, t- using the, the, con- the, uh, the analogy here, or the metaphor, when you, when you take in the word of God, so much more, right? When you take in the word of God, it should make you a nicer person, okay? So have a sweet tooth for the word of God. And then I, uh, just uh, using Titus here to maybe illustrate that point. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness. Now, how does, the, how does the grace of God instruct us? Well, the Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts, but 
He is going to use the Word of God to do that, okay? You need the Word of God that the Holy Spirit can leverage in your mind, okay? Uh, so read the Word of God so the Holy Spirit can activate it in your mind. So the Word of God instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and in a godly manner in this present age. A godly manner. Um, how are you living? How am I living? Now, I want to just maybe a little housekeeping here. This whole section here, from now until all that sand runs out, my fingers are pointing back at me too. So I'm not like lecturing you guys, hey, you're a bunch of bums, you're not living like you ought to live. I'm, at, I'm talking to myself too, so just please, un, please understand that. It, this is like a self-assessment. How are we living as Christians if we claim to be Christians? And let me just say something about that. You know, right down the road, there's the firehouse. You can join the firehouse. It will not change your nature at all. But if you become a Christian, you are a new person in Christ. It's completely different. You can join the Masons. You can join, I don't know, the Elks Club or whatever Fred Flintstone joined, something with the horns on top of his head, right? But becoming a Christian is a life-changing, a spiritually, spiritual life-changing event. Don't ever forget that you are a Christian above all else. If someone asks you to stand up in front of everyone in, I don't know, a stadium and lift up one, like a, a piece of paper and say, Define yourself by one word. What would you use? You ought to use Christian. I am a Christian. You are Christians. Don't ever forget that, please. Okay, so the the Word of God, um, honey is nutritious, and uh, the Word of God is so much more. So what is the definition of nutrition? It's a process of consuming, absorbing, and using nutrients needed by the body for growth, development, and maintenance of life. So we'll kind of look at that a little bit here. Consuming, absorbing, and using nutrients needed for the body for growth, development, and maintenance. So consuming, absorbing, and using. So the first one is consuming. Mm. Uh, does, my Bible, does my Bible look like this? Does your Bible look like this? Okay. When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The question is, are you consuming the Bible? Are you reading your Bible each day? Now this thing called the Bible Project down there, I'm just going to make sure, okay, this is displaying, okay, fine, so I don't turn around, okay. What's here is up there, good. The Bible Project is just one of those apps you can get and it will just give you uh, passages to continue to read, right? And try to get through the Bible in a year. And maybe that's too ambitious for you. Maybe you can't get through the Bible in a year. Maybe it's going to take you two years. But are you reading your Bible? Are you consuming your Bible? That's part of uh, nutrition. Now, this is an interesting one, and it's, um, it's frightening. This is uh, a, a, by, done by Lifeway Research, and the, the survey... And the analysis is, how much of the Bible have you personally read? And this is for evangelical Christians. This is not like for all the pagans out there. They're they're like none of it, right? Okay, which bin do you find yourself in? 
which bin? All of it? Only 11% have ever read the Bible completely from cover to cover. That means if we have 100 people in this room, statistically speaking, only 11 of you have ever read the Word of God from one end to the other. Now, this became brutally apparent to me when I was a young Christian, very impressionable. And I was, with, I was in a brethren church that had elders. It was an elder-led church, several elders. Somehow I was in a group with them, and someone asked, how many of you have ever read the whole Bible? Only one, only one elder could have raised his hand. And I'm like a Christian, like four or five years Christian. I said, ooh, shouldn't, our, shouldn't my leaders have read the whole Bible? And uh, now maybe you're saying, Lou, that's not important. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, all of it more than once. Is that you? Uh, almost all of it? There's actually 10%. If we had, statistically speaking, if we had 100 people in this room who claim to be Christians, 10 of you have actually never read any of it. You cannot get fully nourished by what's being done on Sunday. Please don't think that. Think about if you, if you only came here and this was the food for your whole week, literally, you know, the food. You couldn't eat enough food on a Sunday to not be starving by Wednesday, okay? And this is, you know, so think about it. You need to read the Word of God. Only a few sentences. Mm. So you can let this sink in. This was done in 2017. How much of the Bible have you personally read? If you're going to grow, you've got to uh, consume the Word of God. All right, how about absorbing it? Because one thing to consume, another thing to absorb. Uh, that's me. I can read along books, and maybe you're like this. What did I just read? I have no idea what I just read. I'm not absorbing, okay? I guess I'm consuming, but I'm not absorbing. Okay, this is why, this is in Colossians, Paul says, this is why I've never stopped praying for you since I heard about you. I ask God that you may know what he wants. And this is a paraphrase, by the way. I sometimes put these paraphrases up there. I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Let's try to get the meaning across, okay? This is why I have never stopped praying for you since I heard about you. I ask that God, uh, that, that I ask God that you may know what he wants you to do. You learn that from reading the Word of God. I ask God to fill you with the wisdom and understanding the Holy Spirit gives. Then your lives will please the Lord. You'll do every kind of good work, and you will know more about God. I pray that God's great power will make you strong and that you will have joy as you wait. Do not give up. And then, of course, Jesus said the helper. Now, this is not a paraphrase. The helper, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my place. After I leave, this is, you know, the upper room discourse of those verses in, in John. Uh, that's chapters in John. Uh, he will teach you. Remember, he is not an it. Uh, it's easy to think that the Holy Spirit is like, you know, the battery in your cell phone, just, you know, radiating power out. No, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Father will send him in my place. He will teach you. Everything and help you to remember everything I've told you. Are you asking the Holy Spirit to help you understand the passage? Dear Lord, dear Holy Spirit, Christ, Christ, the second person I trained to say that you would come and be a helper. Help me understand this passage. 
Help me understand this passage so it really sinks in. Then there is a whole idea of using what you've learned. My dear brothers and sisters, this is out of James. James is always the counterbalance to all the other things in Scripture. You know, we should, I mean, James is a great book to do a Bible study on. It is a fantastic book. That is like a rubber meets the road kind of a thing, right? My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, right? So God gave you two ears and one mouth. He could have given you one ear and four mouths. Sometimes I act like I have one ear and four mouths. I'm just transmitting, 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 transmitting. You ever know a person like that? They're just talking, and you try to tell them something that just goes right over their head, right? Okay, be careful about that. Two ears, one mouth, there's a reason, biological reason for it. Think about it. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. This is the key here. Uh, slow to become angry. I used to have, maybe I still do, you have to ask my wife, uh, my, I could flare up pretty quickly. People torque me off, right? And I realized years ago, God, in fact, my, my grandkids just found on your cell phone, there's a slow-mo type app on your phone. You can do slow-mo things. Well, in your mind, when things are going haywire, uh, there's a moment before you flare up, if you're like me, you have a tendency to flare, you can kind of see you're getting ready to do that. Stop yourself, okay? Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. There's the word of God again. Don't merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. We are Christians. Look, at, look in the mirror. Say, I am a Christian. I have been born again. Okay, that's who I am. How am I acting? And after looking at himself, it goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, will be blessed in what they do. So the next thing is, well, how do I go from reading to doing? These are, this is just after being saved for 45 years. This is lose five things, or maybe there's 50 things, but these are five things that occurred to me. Develop good habits. All of us are creatures of habit. Um, the, make the Bible a, 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 a part of your, your life as well. Set aside a time to read and pray each day. You might say, ah, oh, I can't get away from it. the kids. They're driving me nuts. The only time I get any privacy is when I'm in the bathroom. Put the Bible in the bathroom, okay? You can at least get it there, right? Forget the newspaper. If that's the only time you have to get away from all the ankle biters or whatever they are, right? Uh, put, the, put the Bible in the bathroom. This is the next one. Stay in fellowship, accountability. Uh, Christians get wounded and they go into hiding and isolation. Don't do that, okay? Stay in fellowship. If you need someone to be accountable for, I've got bandwidth. Just tap me on the shoulder. Hey, Lou. Can you just ask me how am I doing once in a while? Yeah, I'll do it. Fine. And you can ask me too, okay? I got, I got bandwidth, right? Uh, have a light grip on things. How do you go from reading to doing? Doing all, always implies giving up something. So I say practice giving your time, your talent, and your treasure. I called it T-cubed, okay? Have a light grip on things. I love 
to do things, all kinds of things. I must be constantly doing something, okay? And I can be very selfish with my time. Like I said, I like to build 18th century furniture, right? What do I, what do I want to do today after church? Go back into my shop and build some more 18th century furniture. But what happens if my day gets interrupted? Like it did last week when my mom calls me up and says, hey, we got a problem here, <clears throat> off to the emergency room. Well, guess ain't going to be uh, making any sawdust last Sunday, right? So this is just selfish Lou talking and confessing my, uh, my sins to you guys. Practice giving your time, talent, and treasure. Have a, a light grip on things. Be faithful. Do it even when you don't like to do it. Force yourself to do it, okay? Sometimes, do I ever have to do things for God's service that I don't like doing? You bet. And you probably do too, okay? Keep doing that. And then number five, how do we go from reading to doing? Remember, it's your witness. The lost are watching. That's your testimony. (laughs) Ever work with a person who who claims to be a Christian and you wish they wouldn't shoot their mouth off about it because because their testimony is not very good? I have to ask myself that too. How is my testimony? How is uh, our testimony? All right, the next thing here, is growth because the nutrition is a process of consuming, absorbing, and using nutrients for growth, development, and maintenance of life. How about this? Kind of looks like me, doesn't it? Right? Mm, 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 mm. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Listen, if, if this applies to you, that's okay too, okay? Uh, we can all be babies, right? Imagine if Somehow, every time we were being babyish, this is like a, a word experiment here, whatever, word picture. Somehow, every time we were being babyish as Christians, a pacifier popped into your mouth. Hmm. That would be kind of dangerous, right? They'd be popping in all the time, right? Or a teddy bear jumped into your arms like this. Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. We have it. We don't have it. It's there. We've got like a fully equipped, totally decked out thing. You know, you get all the bling. God has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And then uh, Peter also says, grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory for now and forever. Are you growing? Or are, you, <laughs> are you this guy here? Am I this guy here? Got to grow. Development. Well, Joshua tells people to to uh, buck up, be strong, very courageous, be careful to obey all. This is before they're going to go into, I think, and take possession of the land. Be careful to obey all. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from to the right or to the left. Keep it uh, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate. There's that operative word, day and night. One of the things that Aileen and I do. Uh, right before we go to bed, we listen to hymns. We, like, we don't watch network TV, but we like watching YouTube stuff. We like documentaries and things like that because we're both scientific nerds. But right before we go to bed, we watch a few hymns. If you want a great um, YouTube channel for um, traditional hymns that are sung wonderfully, Hymnology. Hymnology is a great YouTube channel. 
Okay, listen to a few hymns. Get the Word of God uh, in your mind before you go to bed. All right, that's a good thing to do. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong, courageous, right? Living the Christian life takes strength and courage, especially nowadays. Used to be you could raise your hand and say, hey, I'm a Christian. Oh, wow, that's so nice. Huh, try that nowadays. You're likely, likely to get shot, right? It's, not, it's, like, it's the same way that the idea of being a policeman used to be. Oh, he's a policeman. I, I've had acquaintances who've left the police force because they would go into uh, the, the, the donut shop or something like that, and the mother would say, ooh, there's a policeman. That's true, right? Same way with Christians. Oh, there's a Christian. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Have the word of God develop you. Okay? And then the maintenance of life. Hmm. <laughs> I love this picture. He who walks with wise men will be wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Uh, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Okay, how do you get wisdom? You go back to the word of God. The Lord gives you that for maintaining your life and for living uh, your life. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of the righteous, for the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be uprooted. Uh, you can sabotage your life. Now, I was actually studying about these donkeys, and I found out that, um, well, like deer, you see them out now running around. There's does, and there's bucks. Do you know, anyone know what a girl donkey is called? A jenny. A girl donkey is a jenny. Anyone know what a boy donkey is called? It's a jack. Okay? Now, donkeys are also known, class of animals, as asses. So boy donkeys are jacks, and they're also asses. Just let that sink in a little bit there. Okay? <laughs> I'm not going to use any bad words in church. This, is, this was just about zoology here. Okay? <laughs> Yeah, I love this one. This was a great story. And this can happen to you. Has this ever happened? Does this happen to me? I look around and say, whew, where'd that tail come from? Hmm? That's not good. Nope, ears are popping up too. And you can, you can tell when this is happening to you. You know when the ears and the tails are starting to grow. And if you don't, your wife will remind you of that too, okay? So, all right. It's cleansing and it's healing. Honey, is cleansing. The Word of God so much more. Now, this is an interesting one. Uh, so this is dissecting the antimicrobial composition of honey. And, you know, I'm using, you know, so God uses the metaphor, the Word of God is like honey. It's even better. Well, what is honey like, okay? And what's the honeybee like? Uh, and it's an amazing thing, and so is the Word of God. But this is, um, I just want to read a couple excerpts from here, and I'm doing good on my time here. Yep. Okay. Honey has been established as an effective antimicrobial and antioxidant for thousands of years, used mainly for the treatment of surface wounds, burns, inflammation. It has since been developed into medical treatments in the form of medical grade honey. Despite this, 
The initial interest into honey as an antimicrobial therapy was drastically diminished upon the discovery and implementation of antibiotics, which I think happened right after the Second World War. However, with this alarming rise in the prevalence of antimicrobial-resistant organisms, in particular the increase in multidrug resistance, the number of effective antibiotics is shrinking. This is dangerous, folks. The number of effective antibiotic compounds is shrinking at a greater rate than new drugs are being developed. This is true. So uh, we're running out of antibiotics that can treat serious infections. This great predicament has many researchers looking back to the prebiotic era for solutions, sparking more recent interest into the mechanisms of the action of honey as an antimicrobial. And then this is just the last a little bit of this article here that I kind of called out of there. Throughout history, honey has been used in a variety of cultures with different applications. The ancient Egyptians used honey as a topical ointment, a wound dressing, and for embalming their dead, which I did not know. Whereas the Greeks used it as a remedy for gout, pain, fever, also healing. And this is really interesting. <laughs> Actually, it says it's interesting. Interestingly, it has been observed that no organism, no bacteria, has gained resistance to honey. Remember we're saying that uh, there's lots of germs out there, because I'm not a doctor, that those antibiotics had no effect on. Well, they, they have not observed any of those gaining a resistance to honey. And furthermore, the subinhibitory doses, I don't want to go into that, it took me a while to figure out what that was, have been shown to restore oxacillin susceptibility in methicillin, in, in MRSA. So somehow, uh, pre-treating the area with honey uh, somehow reverses the, the, uh, the infection to allow oxacillin to work again. This is crazy how this can happen, right? Now, I just want to, this is a little picture here. You're not going to, maybe you can read this here. So A, B, C, and D. So A is the flower, and it's kind of talking about how bees do things. It's interesting, and the Word of God is even more interesting, right? But, okay, so this is a practical thing. The, this is number A. Polyphenolic compounds derived from the plant are transferred by the bee. Sucrose from the flower is ingested by the bee. This is number B. It's sucrose because nectar is sucrose. It's like table sugar. Uh, uh, in fact, I, in the winter or, or in the late fall and the early spring, I actually feed my bees sugar water because it is just sucrose and they can convert it. Sucrose from the flower is ingested by the bee and broken down into glucose and fructose upon the addition of diatase and invertase by the bee. So in the bee's gut, it has diatase and invertase. So they bring in sucrose and they change it chemically. This is amazing. So of course, I mean, evolution did all this, right guys? Yeah, no, I don't think so. There's, well, I see, I see uh, uh, Alan Snow, our chemical engineer in, in, in uh, residence here. He's, he, he's probably going through the stoichiometric equations over here on all these things here. So th they change things, and you can see the big X over that bacteria stuff. Now, what it's saying here, the glucose is oxidized by glucose oxidase, you know, by the addition of oxygen, basically producing hydrogen peroxide. So the way I have read it is once honey is exposed to oxygen, it starts to have a hydrogen peroxide effect, a lengthy hydrogen peroxide effect. That's why it can be put on a wound and it, it maintains its efficacy. 
And then I won't bother with C because I cannot understand what C is. But D is another interesting one. That little flower there, that is uh, the Manuka flower. And the Manuka flower is a special flower that grows only in um, New Zealand and Australia. And bees that um, forage on those flowers produce something called Manuka honey that um, has even, I call it, super medical properties. So I'm just going to leave it at that, okay? So the bees are amazing things, the Word of God, so much more. I, I want to just also show you this little article, and I still, I've got, I'm doing good on time. Okay, yes. Okay, Manuka, Manuka honey versus saline irrigation for the treatment of cystic fibrosis associated, uh, it's sinus infections, okay? And they have found that um, Manuka honey actually works better than saline because kids or people with cystic fibrosis have this excessive mucus creation and uh, it, they often get infected. So what they have found is Manuka honey attacks biofilms and somehow over, an inf over some kind of infection this biofilm develops that the antibiotics and the medicine can't get to. Well, Manuka honey breaks up the biofilm uh, and eventually, and we can talk, talk about the conclusion because I do have to watch my time, Manuka honey irrigations were well tolerated. The retention rates were high. Preliminary data showed that Manuka honey achieved a clinically important difference in the quality of life score and significantly better endoscopic outcome. I guess they stuffed something up their nose and saw what was going on. Microbiological control was difficult to achieve. So we're not out of the woods yet with, uh, with using using that. And now it's a little rabbit trail we went down here. All right. Okay. But we talked about its cleansing too. Uh, and, and this is actually the Darby translation. I thought it was kind of interesting. Use the Darby translation, right? <laughs> Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his path by taking heed according to thy word. All right. With my whole heart, I have sought thee. Let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word I have hid in my heart. This is one of the first verses I ever memorized. Thy word I have hid in my heart. They may not sin against thee. Hide God's word in your heart. And that will tell you, should I do this or should I not do this? Okay? And, I, and, and just pause here just for a quick second. I look at it two ways. The word of God is trying to get me to say no to the things I want to say yes to. The Word of God is trying to get me to say no to the things I want to say yes to. And the things I want to say yes to, because I'm a sinner and a sinful person, are sinful things. But the Word of God is also trying to, me, to get me to say yes to the things I want to say no to. And the things I want to say no to are my time, my talent, and my treasure. And the Word of God is trying to get me to say, Lou, have a light grip on life, okay, Say yes to those things. Don't say no when you're called upon. With my lips, I have declared all the judgments of my mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of my testimonies as much as in all wealth. I'll meditate upon thy precepts, and I have respect unto thy paths. I delight myself in thy statutes. I'll not forget thy word. It's cleansing. It keeps you from getting into a muck mess. All right? Ah. John 15.3, for me, it was a very difficult first. So I'm just going to connect that with John 20. 
I spent hours trying to understand this verse, and I'm still not sure. I'm just going to connect these two together. This is another one of these upper room discourses. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Uh, And then I connect this in my simplistic mind. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So what, what Christ has told us gives us, at a minimum, eternal life and the path to eternal life, which is believing that he died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead. Finally, we're, we're almost done. Yep, okay. Um, honey is healing and the word of God so much more. The word of God is healing. But look at this. The role of honey in advanced wound care. And this one here came out of uh, the journal Molecules. I don't know who, what are these guys? Oh, this is a Spanish journal. Okay, yeah. Uh, Portugal and Spain, the, the journal Molecules. And these are all recent, recent, uh, huh, that's interesting. I'm just looking here. At the bottom there, it says received 13 July, revised 29 July, and accepted 29 July. Um, journal articles, you submit a journal article, and the peer reviewers are going to look at that and say, hmm, not so quick, and go back with comments. You may need to revise your, your article. You may need to clarify things, pull things out, and stuff like that. Uh, I think it's the same is true with patents. Uh, a patent lawyer doesn't like what, something you're claiming. You have to, you have to retract it. No, nah, I can't do that. All right, so this is uh, uh, an excerpt from there. Several, several case studies and randomized control trials provide considerable evidence of the effectiveness of honey in healing different types of wounds, such as amputation wounds, burns, skin grafting sites, skin lesions, or skin ulcers, including leg and uh, varicose, malignant, um, diabetic, and sickle cell ulcers. I have to watch this guy here. He's not going to make any noise. Uh, this is, by the way, this is about an hour. Uh, we'll probably be just like five minutes past 15 after. But I, I gotta fin- I've got to finish this thing. I can't have... I was supposed to, this was supposed to be a four-part series. It's taken me seven weeks to get through a four-part series. Don't ever ask me to do a 10-week series. <laughs> you, you, it'll never end, okay? The use of honey obtained a remarkable improvement in recalcitrant wounds, wounds that just don't want to stop being wounds and has demonstrated even more efficiency than conventional treatments using commercial wound dressing. So the, remember I said, it's healing. Honey is healing, the word of God, so much more. And this is just an example of that. Okay, I want to just summarize this very quickly here. So this is a, a, a hospital in Germany, medical honey for wound care, still the latest resort, is that the last resort? This was a hospital in Germany that was a pediatric hospital, specifically uh, like an oncology-type hospital for kids with leukemia and other types of diseases that require chemotherapy. And what would happen with chemotherapy, at least reading through this article, I never had chemotherapy, I don't know, uh, you can get infections. And when infections start, the chemo has to stop. At least that's what I'm reading and I'm studying. So if you're a doctor and you say, no, that's not how it is, this is my this is my current understanding. So this child came in, and they were treated for 12 days with this other type of either antibiotic or antiseptic, they're calling it. And nothing happened. It did not improve. 
So there's a whole group of FDA-approved medical-grade honeys that primarily come from Australia because they're made from manuka. Uh, they come from the manuka flower, uh, and they're known as medi, medi honey. And after two days, the bacteria, it says here, after two days, uh, the wound was bacteria-free and chemotherapy could start again. And this, if you want one article to read, because I'm just summarizing one of the things that this did. There were like 20 different instances, other types of instances. Just, you know, take a snapshot of this. Medical honey for wound care, still the latest resort. It is a fascinating, it's like a 20-page article, but it's a fascinating article on the medical use of honey. So these are just a sampling. Uh, these are all FDA-approved medical-grade honeys and more and more are being uh, developed. I think these are non-prescription types. I couldn't get into the, the prescription level honeys. Um, just I didn't know how to get to those, okay? But these are, are all currently medical grade honeys and more and more are being discovered. All right, so it's healing. We said it's healing. Uh, gracious words are a honeycomb. We looked at this earlier. It's sweet to the soul and healing to the bones, right? Your words can hurt, my words can hurt, or they can heal another person. And if our words um, are intertwined with the word of God, they can bring healing to other people, even to yourself. All of us have had traumas in our life. We've had things done to us that shouldn't have been done to us, or we've done things to people we shouldn't have done, right? That's why Jesus said, go visit the people in prison. They have regret. How do they deal with that? The word of God can help heal them and help heal you. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart for their life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence. From it flows the springs of life. Especially verse 23, you've got to be careful what you put inside of you, okay? And that little song, um, be careful little eyes what you see. And with the internet, there are so many things that we should not be looking at, I should not be looking at. Be careful. You can, it's hard to um, <clears throat> bleach those things out of your mind, okay? And if you need help with some of those things, and you people know what I'm talking about, you can, you can get help for for looking at things that you shouldn't look at. Okay, Proverbs 3. Uh, I'm going to pass over Proverbs 3 now because I, I got just two more slides and I, I want to get through it and not keep you too long. Okay, <clears throat> and then I had th this slide and then there's the, the conclusion. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Yeah, without the word of God, anything seems right. <laughs> All you need to look at the atrocities of history, and you can see people thought what they were doing was right and turned out to be very wrong. I'll refer you to Germany in 1939 and on. They thought that what they were doing was right. <clears throat> and <laughs> a fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man can, conceals dishonor. He who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks rashly, like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of wise of the wise bring healing. The word of God helps us to bring healing to ourselves and to others. 
And you can't do that unless you have it in you, unless you're reading and absorbing and acting upon the Word of God. And then finally, Proverbs 1 starts with, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Read all of Proverbs 1. And I just want to stop there for one second. And I'm talking about getting into a habit of reading the Bible. Um, Most of you know this, but some of you don't. Let's say you don't know this. Let's say you're a new Christian. Typically, there's 31 days in a month, sometimes a little less, never anymore. Unless it's a weird month. I've never heard of one more than 31 days. And there are 31 Proverbs. Uh, So if you just don't, I don't know where to begin. What day is today? It's the 20th, let's say. Read Proverbs 20. That'll get you going. It gets you into a habit, right? There's 30 day, 31 days and 31 Proverbs. What do you do in February? Ah, read two Proverbs or something like that. Don't get hung up on that, all right? But 31 days, 31 Proverbs, at a minimum, you can at least do that. It will change your life. And here's the conclusion. Here's the takeaways. Sweet taste of honey is used as a metaphor for how sweet the Word of God is. To read, we talked about meditating. Think about what it says. Memorize it. Try to memorize it. My, uh, the area of your brain, your hippocampus, uh, shrinks uh, as you get older. And when you get to be my age, it's gone from uh, maybe the size of a prune to the size of a raisin. My hippocampus is small. I have problems memorizing things. But if you're younger than me, your hippocampus is nice and plump. You should be able to memorize lots of things, okay? And then finally, act on it. The Word of God is it's delicious, tastes wonderful, nutritious it helps you grow it's cleansing cleanses our minds and it can bring healing and takeaway is make a habit to take in the word of god each day Uh, this little guy is not done but we don't care because we're done let's pray (laughs) dear lord thank you so much for the privilege of coming before my brothers and sisters lord these past several weeks thank you so much for letting me do this lord and i pray that they would uh, and we would all learn uh, and take, in, uh, take action on what we've been hearing. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Okay.